0: This is a warning from the future. Video games will rot your brain and cause the apocalypse. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Conversation Tree podcast. It is Sunday the 21st of August, or will be when this podcast goes up. It's a few days in advance of that for the very first time we're recording this. Uh, probably in advance. I'm going to be away over the weekend. Um, But enough about that. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, please do. They're very good. Um, uh, But this is a podcast all about video gaming, trying to take an analytical look, uh, while also loving video games. Yeah,
1: layman's analytics.
0: We are your co-hosts. I'm Jonathan. I'm Lydia. And we don't currently work in the video games industry, but never say never.
1: We work around it. Yeah, we bump up against it. We work in, um, well, you work in communications, and I work
0: in TV broadcast to an extent. Yeah, yeah. We work around it. It works around us. Yeah. And never the we... No, hang on. We want right. <laughs> um, anyway, the three of our big watchwords for what we want to bring to podcasting and what we want to discuss and what we love about video games are character, narrative, and impact. And one of the... I didn't know
1: where you were going with that. That's news to me.
0: Um, I thought you suggested them. Man, maybe I had a dream about it. Who knows? Um,
1: Scintillating dreams you're having of me. (laughs)
0: Um, I had one about Russia invading Poland, so it's more interesting than that one. Um, (laughs) Not if you're Poland. (laughs) No, I suppose not. Um... But either way, uh, this episode is going to be all about narrative, and particularly finding narrative where there isn't necessarily Mm. any. Mm. Uh, And one of the big reasons for that is because some game has just come out, no one's really been talking about it, it's kind of flown under the radar, no man's sky, you fly around an almost infinite galaxy...
1: Minecraft
0: in space! Uh, Um, So yeah, unless you have been under a rock for a long time, or just aren't interested in games whatsoever, um, you, I'm sure, have heard about No Man's Sky, and uh, I've been playing a lot of it. You've been playing a little bit of it. Uh, Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) That's your reaction every time I mention a game, is ugh.
1: No. Um, Is it? Well, quite a lot of the time you mentioned double game.
0: <laughs> okay then, well, um, one of the things that we like a lot in the world in general and one of the things we love about games is storytelling. So what has been interesting in the build-up to No Man's Sky coming out has been a lot of talk about what you actually do in No Man's Sky, what the purpose is. um, Is there a
1: storyline? Will will more be revealed? Because if there was a storyline, they were keeping it really hush-hush, which I think kind of spurred the... You can't spur fires, what am I trying to say? Stove the fires a little bit.
0: Um, Fiery steed you could spur. Indeed. Uh, What's the... No, I'm not going to start quoting Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) One, because I can't. (laughs) And two, uh, because... That would be the third podcast in a row where we get sidetracked by shakespeare um so yes so the the only thing really new in advance was no man's sky had a massive galaxy to explore you could name stuff that you discovered and there was a sort of goal of heading towards the center of the galaxy where there's apparently some kind of end game or something like that but there's there are other bits and bobs um so yeah, so it's very interesting to see how that would fit in with our love of narrative in particular, mm-hmm. and also I haven't really had much luck with big kind of uh, kind of free like Minecraft basically. I I haven't. That's the sandbox game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of a big sandbox without any specific goal other than mess around in the sandbox.
1: Oh, uh, no, see, I was talking about this with someone this morning, actually, because I think Minecraft does have more um, linear goals than No Man's Sky, which is why I prefer it um, to survive. It's a survival game. Survival sandbox, I guess. Mm. Um, and I, y- You certainly can die in No Man's Sky.
0: <laughs> I have, repeatedly. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah.
1: What happens when you die?
0: Um, you respawn on the nearest space station. Although I've only ever died in space, so I don't know whether it's different on a planet.
1: Do you lose all your stuff?
0: You do, um, mm. but you can you have a <laughs> you have a space grave, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can uh, fly by your space grave and, and pick up it, it up just like Minecraft. Yeah. Oh, is that?
1: Uh well, without space. Yeah, but yeah, you, you you drop your stuff where you died, and then you can, if you're adventurous, depending on what
0: killed you, you can go back and pick it all up again. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of a little bit of a, well, it's kind of a gap in the fiction of it. There there are a few, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm really loving No Man's Sky, I'll put that out there straight away. Um, But a sort of odd thing is that when my deaths in space have come about because other non-player characters, other ships have scanned the system, decided there's something valuable in my cargo and shot me down. And, um,
1: and these are NPCs. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or mobs, I should say. Ooh, look at you, the illinger. Hey.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> and so yeah, so they they've scanned me and found something valuable, which is why the game has told me that they're coming to kill me.
1: Okay.
0: Um, so it then seems odd that I can go and pick up the cargo. Um, but I, they... maybe I don't get all of my cargo back. I've and they
1: yet. only exist in space.
0: Yes. So
1: they're they're pirates. They just fly around. Yeah. The game. I... The game generates them to get in your way
0: yeah and i found if i get down into the atmosphere in time which i've managed once
1: i think oh. um
0: then they, they didn't follow me down
1: okay it's like the creepers no it's not i'm oh. just trying to think of another minecraft reference <laughs> i don't know the spiders that only come out at night um so have you found yourself form formulating any any stories? Then do you have like have you sort of started to build up a sense of your character and and why they're in that world?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm starting to. Um, the very beginning of the game has you crash landed on a planet, and you have to gather resources and fix your ship before you can then move off planet, and then eventually move to another solar system. Or um, uh, I don't think solar system is the right word. Um, I think that only applies to our solar system because Sol is our sun. I can't remember the year. Uh, Whoa!
1: <laughs> you know. I didn't know that. I
0: only found out the other day. Um, I just
1: assumed solar system was like, um, I don't know, studio apartment compared to the grand... Expensive if it's in central grand London. condo of the universe. Oh, right, okay.
0: Um, yeah, I think that's right. I can't remember what the... Uh, bloody word is there. Oh, well, never mind. Star system. There we go, star, star system. system is what... Um, it should actually be um so yeah, so the game doesn't really tell you that much it you know it tells you what you need to fix and what materials you need to gather to fix them, but doesn't really give you any other information, tell you what the controls are, that kind of thing mm. what your what your options are effectively um and the 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 big thing for me, and I would imagine anyone that's enjoying No Man's Sky, is the thrill of discovery. Uh, finding all these odd new creatures on different planets, finding odd formations and different things. And so I I'm kind of feeling like I'm a space baby uh, <laughs> in effect. Um, yeah. I, awful mental it, image. Uh, yeah, it's something about the joy of discovery that that makes me feel like I'm I don't know, some kind of new creature oh isn't almost. that
1: interesting because that's quite similar to what the um first person scholar guys were saying about um their love of dark souls they were saying precisely do you remember that yes really yeah, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. really good podcasts first person scholar um um so they were saying that they love dark souls because it had i can't remember Heine, Heineken maybe? maybe Drink you under the table. Heidegger. Heidegger, Heidegger thank you. <laughs> um, uh, TV taught me everything I know. Uh, yeah, Heideggerian theory that um, th- we enter the world as babies. That's not theoretical. Pretty sure there's some evidence <laughs> I'm pretty to Pretty sure that. that's true. Yeah. Uh, and then spend our lives trying to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. So that's that's the reality. And then Heidegger's theory is that fiction uh emulates that process and can give us a sense of catharsis as our as the the protagonist discovers things and so then the first person scholar guys were saying that dark souls kind of takes that to the next level because you're not watching a protagonist do that you are the protagonist in this little mini heideggerian baby metaphor
0: okay Um, they found it very
1: very engaging and you're saying that you're a space baby.
0: Yes, effectively, yeah. Um,
1: so you're finding that. Why? Why do you find that engaging and not just dull or intimidating?
0: Um, well, I think it's a combination of things because I don't find a, a kind of. I suppose it's a similar kind of thing in Minecraft. You don't really have your hand held that much.
1: Oh my! There are no yeah. instructions in Minecraft. Yeah.
0: Um, so I think this. I because <laughs> I prefer
1: Minecraft, so I'm boasting a little bit. I think there's less information given in Minecraft than there is. Yeah, and and
0: certainly the things you can construct, certainly at this stage in No Man's Sky, in Minecraft are a lot more complex. It's more about that construction, whereas yeah. I think in No Man's Sky it's more about the discovery yeah, and the construction and, and that stuff is kind of the, the mechanic around it.
1: But in uh, in No Man's Sky you don't have realistic survival imperatives. Um, I mean, you have things like if your if your suit runs low on oxygen, mm. but you can always get back to your ship and it's your mother base, you're saved. You don't have to worry about food supplies,
0: do you? Uh, no, no, it is just life support systems mm. and things like that, which do go down. It, you know, it functions effectively as a hunger meter, if you like. The uh, life support
1: yeah, system. I suppose, yeah.
0: Um,
1: but you can't top it up while you're out
0: and about, really. Yeah, yeah, if you've got enough carbon to hand.
1: Oh, okay, oh, okay, so that is quite similar.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Um, but the, yeah, I, I think I, this is something that I think I'll come back to in another topic in another podcast. The aesthetic is a big draw for me. It's nice to spend time looking at, whereas to me, Minecraft, I don't like yeah. looking at it. No, um I don't
1: either, because cause I didn't really, well, I did play the old 8-bit games, but I, I didn't really properly get into gaming until um, RPGs started versioning, so... So the I, the eight bit style doesn't really have any um, nostalgia for
0: me. No, I don't think that's. But I mean, it's big with the kids uh, who wouldn't with have nostalgia kids. for Is it? Eight have bit you games. asked
1: kids? I don't know this. Oh uh, Yeah,
0: I, I mean, I, well, I haven't asked kids, but <laughs> uh, I, I've heard teachers talking about it and oh, really? uh, read articles about oh, okay. how much. It, yeah, it, really? it's down the kids. Okay. Oh yeah, it's huge. Um, mm-hmm. And hey someone, at, yeah, someone at work whose kids are really, really into it. Uh, and yeah, that spend hours watching people on YouTube playing it, and kind of you know, the whole Minecraft scene.
1: I don't mean Minecraft. I mean eight bit.
0: Oh right, no, I'm talking about Minecraft.
1: No, I know Minecraft is huge with kids. No, yeah. no, I know, I know that.
0: That's, oh right, that's
1: like what it does. No, but
0: I was saying that it doesn't matter if you're not nostalgic for eight bit stuff because kids like it who wouldn't be nostalgic for eight bit okay. stuff.
1: But there's a lot of other eight bit style games, yeah. which I'm not sure kids are yeah. as fond of, possibly because of the graphics.
0: Could be. Hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, th- I think certainly the aesthetic uh, and setting of space uh, are very appealing to me, which certainly helps it in comparison to some other big sandbox games. Oh man, if they were a steampunk No
1: Man's Sky. That'd
0: oh, be very cool. Maybe um, that's what's at the centre of the galaxy. Ooh. Um,
1: I wanted to ask you how, do you, how do you know about this thing at the centre of the galaxy? Was that in the marketing or is that something that's come to light as you play? It, it was in the marketing.
0: And it has also come to light while playing it. Um,
1: So, okay, so you are kind of unravelling pieces of a story. And are they sparking your interest?
0: Um, They are a bit, yeah. Uh, What's really sparking my interest, though, I'll talk in a minute about a review that I read uh, today for it. The the reviews have come out quite staggered because it's such a big game and there's a lot to do that it wasn't kind of Mm. on the first day all the reviews came out. Um, Yeah. Mm. Yeah. but the it's kind of been the little moments to me that at the moment I'm still building up a narrative for my character, so I don't really know everything about my character. Yeah. And
1: when you say you're you, you're using your imagination to build up a character, or are you finding clues in the game that are building your character? Uh, no,
0: using my imagination. Right. Yeah, there aren't really so far there aren't really any clues apart from people who referred to me as a traveller, um, and that's about it. I think I'm I'm from elsewhere mm-hmm. rather than from this galaxy perhaps or this area I don't know there was I wish I hadn't seen it's one of the big main images I don't think it's the box art but it's one of the big images that's around is a a humanoid character in a mm, kind of some kind of futuristic spacesuit on a planet surrounded by odd wildlife Mm -hmm. I think that's a shame in a way Uh, it would have been nice I don't know what my exosuit looks like that's quite nice I can imagine it any way I please
1: I wonder if um, if the marketing, the publishers in the marketing department came up with that and felt obligated to put a, a human type on the box, or if uh, if the developers had a hand in that.
0: Well, interestingly, on the PC, people have been digging around in the back end of the code and they've found all kinds of assets that aren't actually in the game, one of oh. which is a sort of human in the spacesuit kind of thing. And So there's theories about whether that is who you are or something that wasn't used in the game, yeah. or is just something entirely yeah. random that's just stuck in the code somewhere.
1: Could it not be something that just hasn't played out yet in the game?
0: Um, well, I... I don't know enough about coding. No, that's, that's it, nor do I. Okay. But the, according to the article, it was unused.
1: Yeah, asset. oh, it's unused. Yeah,
0: yeah. But oh. the... So, yeah, the the two biggest... Actually, no, three, three moments that I'll talk about, I think, in No Man's Sky, that are combining to give me my sense of character and... Uh it's not there yet. And it's, you know, I don't feel like I've got a narrative, but these are the three big things that have happened for me. Uh, the first is when I took off from the first planet, which I'd explored a bit. Um, and eventually I was able to take off from it and got just up in, out of the atmosphere and into the, the beginnings of space and
1: up where the air is clear
0: yes uh, except for asteroids down uh-huh. them um though they do contain a lot of formium 9 which is brilliant <laughs> <laughs> pretty sexy right
1: now hell yeah
0: um so uh yes yeah, so so pulled out of atmosphere and suddenly went okay right let's have a look around and I caught sight of a planet off in the distance. I mean, ooh, there's a planet over there. Uh, and then I caught sight of how big the planet that I was taking off from was. And I thought, oh my
1: God, that's really cool.
0: Um, and then I saw another two planets off in the distance. And like Each time I saw another thing and kind of, uh, you know, I'd heard about the scale of how big the game was or that kind of stuff. Okay. But the difference between knowing that and experiencing that for me was kind of key. It was every time it was a gasp and a giggle. And and that felt like that was kind of my character in a way, as much as me. Uh, And I go, oh my god, this is amazing. Um, Secondly, um, so I I visited quite a few planets, some were a bit barren. I didn't really have any for a while that were hostile, and I couldn't spend very much time out of my spaceship. Uh, See,
1: I think that's. I, I started on a very hostile planet and got off it eventually, and then the next two, three planets I went to weren't hostile, but were incredibly ugly. Mm. Just just um, volcanic yeah. messes. Uh, I think that kind of put me off a little bit. Ah, but Especially because then... I was building this backstory about how I was a xenobiologist, and I couldn't yeah. find any plants! <laughs>
0: <laughs> Should just inspire you to search more, that's the thing.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so yeah, so that's then, you know, I went to a few sort of barren-ish ones, and then i landed on a lush jungle planet with a huge amount of fauna huge amount of flora grass everywhere it wasn't just rock or green tinged rock as <laughs> some of them have been it was proper grass that swayed when there was proper a storm grass. um and it was just incredible and yeah it was kind of i just Wandered around it, kind of found paddocks full of different wildlife, all kind of coexisting and mingling together.
1: See, but if it were Minecraft, you could decide that's where you're going to build your camp, and mm. and just and live there. Um, but in uh, No Man's Sky, you constantly are on the move. How do you reconcile that as a as a player? Do you want to be able to just set up camp?
0: Well, this is um, the article that I read. I think it was on Kotaku. Um, it was someone's review and he's he's played it twice or he he started it twice um and sort of completed in inverted commas at once um so completed no man's sky com- well got to the center of the galaxy basically <laughs> the
1: most incompletable game ever
0: <laughs> um so yeah, he he got to the center of the galaxy and completed that aspect oh, of it oh
1: okay the story um, mode yeah okay
0: um and so yeah he so said in his first playthrough he didn't really like it that much he explored a few planets N- named a few after a while he stopped naming them mm, found them a bit yeah. samey um and then just kind of hopped and skipped his way through to the center of the galaxy stopping off on planets when he needed to top up on oh, okay this that and the other and found it quite dull and quite mm-hmm. two-dimensional mm-hmm. um and then he restarted and he made the decision to he, he really liked his home world it, oh, it was okay. kind of one of these lush places and went you know what I'm going to stay here mm-hmm. and he named it Homestead uh, and
1: Ooh, this is getting interesting yeah
0: and and he spent a lot of time on that planet um, and kind of finding out you know kind of the nice areas of it and finding some nice places around it and exploring all the different or, on all the planets there are all kinds of um, alien outposts and um, ancient ruins mm-hmm. things like that which I'll talk about in a second that's my third exciting thing okay and um, uh, and then, then eventually he moved off that planet to another one, made sure he named all of them um, and kind of explored it to see what was what and kept going back to Homestead because that was his home. Hmm. Then eventually he moved out of that uh, star system um, and he kind of kept Homestead as his home uh-huh. and just kind of went out one star system in each direction and explored those, made right. sure that he not only named but numbered the systems and the planets so that he could keep a record of how many he'd found and also find his way back. So if he did kind oh, of go for a few systems, dumps. yeah, he could, you know, work out how to get back, that kind of thing.
1: Oh, that's really, he's really engaging with it yeah. and customising yeah, it. Yeah,
0: that's it. And he's oh, thinking okay. of himself as, as his character, as more of a character rather than this is a game to... Just to explore. Be. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which I think is really, really interesting Yeah So then that comes on to probably uh, Kind of ties probably with the really lush planet My other favourite moment Is landing on a planet bathed under a kind of really harsh yellowy sun That bathed everything in a kind of yellow hue That sounds
1: miserable Yeah,
0: it wasn't a pretty planet Kind of fairly barren and rocky but with lots of mushrooms uh, Weird, giant mushrooms what you're describing is
1: a ball of soup planet Yeah
0: Um, giant mushrooms with kind of tentacly protuberances, um, all in this kind of horrible yellow glow. How is your (laughs) mum? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. How's your father? I'm not going to quote that. (laughs) So then uh, the first thing that I came to on this planet were some of these alien ruins, which was... They take various forms. This one was kind of a building with one tower. Um, And you can uh jetpack up inside the tower. The floor's broken, so you can go oh. up to kind of the top floor inside the little dome. There are little windows. Um so I was looking out through these little windows of these cyclopean ruins onto oh, these hello. mushroomy <laughs> tentacly things and <laughs> bathed in a yellow sun uh, and then they were kind of flapping things above uh, some creatures that were kind of,
1: unnamed whores
0: exactly they were bat-like um, and I tried to I zoomed in to try and identify them but they were moving too quickly so I couldn't quite tell what they were like and okay. I couldn't quite identify them Yeah, and yeah I mean, it was just massively Lovecraftian yeah. um, and I, but this is randomly. Generated,
1: but they didn't design it on the Lovecraft planet.
0: No. Um, What they've done is they've designed assets that may come together in that form. I mean, I've seen tentacly things here, there, and everywhere. Um, But this one was just kind of such a a great coming together. Um, And yeah, choosing to climb up to the top of those ruins on the inside and kind of peek out through the windows at these things. uh, yeah, that it, that was just really a really really lovely moment. Uh, that I think kind of starts to feed into the character of this guy and how he feels about the uh, the galaxy. My character uh, that it is massively exciting to explore, but it's also kind of a bit creepy, and and it is it's not as lonely as I felt in some games. I'm struggling to think of what now, but it's it Minecraft is, kind of is a...
1: desperately lonely. Yeah, yeah, that was one of
0: my problems with that actually—the loneliness yeah. of it. Uh, this is a loneliness, but it feels more intended, if you like. It feels more like a it's philosophical like isolation maybe, Yeah, maybe, as
1: supposed to imposed.
0: Yeah, uh, there are NPCs around that you interact with. It's very rudimentary oh, interaction. Yeah. Um, I did really enjoy
1: meeting those guys. Actually, I could have mm. just just happily back and forth between the uh, the two guys that I met on the planet who you seem to be able to have reasonably versatile uh, conversations with. I, I never found the conversation repeating. Yeah. And part of that is because you literally only know a handful of words. So, you know, as long as they change the order of the words that you do know in the sentence mm. as it's being translated on screen for you then maybe the conversation is repeating and I just don't know. Um, but the problem is that you have to use um, your resources to mm. engage with them. And as resources are so precious, <laughs> I thought I have to be practical here. But I found talking to them far more interesting than gathering the resources.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of another slight weirdness about it that, again, is feeding into my view of this galaxy. Is that... Um, so, yeah, Pyrus have killed me a few times for my... My, my loot, um, but I got my loot just by going down to a planet going, there's a mound of gold and mining it, mm-hmm. and it's just sticking up out the ground.
1: <laughs> I don't quite understand <laughs> the how... The planets are playing uh, yeah. with gold! Uh,
0: so, and then, you know, you can go and sell this stuff on, a, on the space station in the system. I'm like, well, why are people sitting on the space station? Why aren't they digging up all the gold and selling that for, for cash money? It's just lying Does around.
1: Does that detract from the reality of the game? Well,
0: it it did for a while to me, um, but I'm partially, I, there there are games that are, have a more complex version of this kind of thing, like the elite games and things like that, which I've never been massively interested in. They're a bit too complex for my tastes, um, but actually I think in the context of the loneliness of this and not quite knowing how my species, I, fit into this Unknown galaxy, and all this weird unknown stuff, and then each planet has just got these outposts that have one person in of a different uh, different species, or kind of three species, I think, that mm. are dotted around. Um, but they they definitely doesn't seem to be, you know, they don't have great big cities or anything like that. Uh, then there are these robot sentinels dotted around that are somehow tied up into things. It
1: definitely feels like there's some kind of lore which needs yeah. to be uncovered.
0: But it reminds me of that, kind of to to misquote from Firefly, that people have gone out to the edge of the galaxy and looked out into the black and gone mad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not you know it's not Mad Max levels, it's not Reaver levels of psychopaths coming back. But it just feels like, yeah, the, this universe is slightly... Unhinged, and Hmm. I quite like that. (laughs) Hmm.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of delving through the remnants of something of of a a galaxy that's dying, a system that's that's kind of fallen apart. Um, And there's kind of a little bit that's still hanging together, but by and large, it's.
1: And is that your interpretation? Or yeah, yeah, right, yeah.
0: I mean, that might be there. I might be getting that because that's exactly what they wanted to convey, and that's the secret I find at the centre of the galaxy. I don't know. I haven't got there. Um, i've barely scratched the surface of it but that's yeah at the moment that's where i'm i'm thinking my narrative for it is and that's you know that's something i like it's not a surprise i've come up with that because i yeah. i like stories like that
1: i want to uh, mention a quote here on apophenia by bruce and apophenia being the condition wherein human beings consistently and constantly seek out patterns whether or not they exist Mm. um he says uh, without such meaning making meaning making being spotting the pattern without such meaning making we would be unable to make predictions about survival and reproduction we take such patterns a step further by ascribing meaning to them Mm. so there's base pattern recognition such as lions eat things lions might eat me and there's ascribing meaning to it, which would be, that lion is angry, lion just needs a friend. Just kind of yeah. see what I'm doing yeah, up yeah. there. So, sounds like you're automatically imbuing quite a lot of meaning into the patterns that you've found. Mm. And why are you doing that? Is the game kind of feeding you those meanings, or is that your attraction to it, that you you feel consciously or unconsciously, like a player who imbues meaning into the, game, the
0: patterns of games? Um, I... Well, one, I reckon it's a very, as you said, kind of a base human thing to do. Um, that uh, that's, you know, perhaps where religion comes from looking for meaning. <laughs> <laughs> um, what that's the quote I'm going to get to. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I think it's probably been cleverly designed so that you can come up with whatever you want to within yeah. within kind of the bounds of what's there to interpret. Um, so it's good job, guys, on uh, on that. Well, that's something um, that I
1: think all um, fiction, not even fiction, any any form of narrative does is set up obvious patterns and set up abstruse patterns that like we mentioned the trail of breadcrumbs, they give you an incentive that you, the reader or the viewer or the player, an incentive to find the patterns that you don't think you were supposed to find. Mm. Um, I have a quote here from Christopher Moore, who says, A mild case of apophenia is a novelist's secret weapon that brings readers and literary success. We spend our working days seeing spontaneous connections between unconnected events, people, and lives, and weaving meaning into those connections. Mm. And he's talking about that in the form of a novel, and that's essentially what a page-turner is. It's when we think we've sussed out a pattern that a character maybe hasn't, or we've figured it out before a character has. Um...
0: Yeah, well, uh, there, there are a few that well, I haven't, uh, you know, I've been killed a few times by space pirates. Um,
1: are they called space pirates? Uh, are no, you imbuing meaning into a recurring pattern well, so that you can, you can um, not only bring survival to it, but entertainment?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I've not done yet is built them into a particular narrative. So okay. I don't feel yet like they're specifically targeting me. But if it happens a few more times, maybe I could. Or I don't know why it happens in certain systems, but at some point Mm -hmm. I might find myself Mm -hmm. thinking of a pattern that that fits into. There have been a couple of times where I've uncovered distress beacons and there hasn't been anything at the beacon. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be that it's a glitch. It could be the game specifically puts those in there to make you think of, you know, what is, is this allure for a trap was it minutes after that that the pirates beamed into yeah. to find me i don't know
1: well um psychology would say that an acute hyperactive apophenia leads to paranoia because you start spotting hmm. patterns where patterns don't exist and yeah. if the whole point of spotting patterns is to help us survive and avoid the lion who we've seen eat other people um then yeah we need to be extra cautious and and predict these um paranoid patterns so are you being paranoid are you or is this just st- storytelling no at the moment
0: i'm not and i think that's why i feel like a space baby um because at the moment i still feel like i've got my eyes wide open and haven't formulated as a character and as a player haven't formulated my ideas about.
1: You don't have this enough. Galaxy. You don't have enough information yeah. to determine the full pattern. Yet. Bingo. Yeah. Oh.
0: Um, and that's. Yeah, and, th- and that's, that's probably the,
1: com- the compelling reason to keep playing. Bingo.
0: Yeah, it's not frustrating that I don't have that. It's well, <laughs> I've got nineteen quintillion uh, planets to to bimble around, so it's not surprising I haven't found the pattern. Um, so
1: why do I find it frustrating? Do you think it's because I'm not putting enough narrative meaning into it? Maybe.
0: Um. Yeah, it could be. Um, I I think, I mean, like I say, I haven't come up with a hugely compelling narrative or character for myself yet, but it's starting to coalesce. But I've played it a lot more than you have. So Mm -hmm. I think because of the scale of it, unless something clicks really quickly for you, um, it's going to take a while to see enough to, yeah, to to have the patterns, to to build yourself a narrative, to see what the tools at your disposal are, if you like, um, to get good and paranoid about things.
1: Good and paranoid. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's another, that leads right into another thing, which I got really kind of snotty about, although I quite like this writer. This is a woman named Andrea Phillips, who is um, a blogger, uh, a game developer I feel like she, oh she's a novelist as well um, and so this is from one of her blogs called Game Stories and an Extended Metaphor and she's talking about um, the relevance of traditional narrative in games and how she feels it's it's imperative that it should exist and not be overlooked um, so just to give you background she's saying that a game like Mass Effect is like a restaurant um, a game without narrative like Mancroft uh, Minecraft 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 is like a grocery store so then she says in a restaurant so a narrative game in a restaurant you get fewer choices about the meal you're going to have but not none in return, you can expect the chef to provide you with a certain baseline quality of cuisine, a story with good pacing, characters, internal consistency. In a grocery store, the choice you have is vastly larger, but you're also going to have to put a lot more work into the experience to come away with an actual meal, or a story that compares to what a chef might prepare. So, that's quite a quite a rich quote. But what I took out of it was: so in a grocery store, in a let's say a sandbox, uh, the choice you have is vastly larger in terms of choice of narrative. But you're also going to have to put a lot more work into the experience to come away with an actual meal. So you have to work harder to find a narrative in games that don't have an obvious narrative. Mm. And I read that; I thought that's really interesting. I get your point, but I completely disagree. Ah, okay, completely, hundred percent. Uh, and just because that sounds like it's in direct, um, uh, not violation, um, the opposite side of the spectrum to apophenia, because we're constantly finding pattern and we're constantly imbuing it with narrative. We can't stop doing it. We, It's what we do. Um, so I don't understand why, Imbuing a sandbox game with meaning would be harder, I think. Actually, the other might be true. I think a game with a very strict linear narrative, like Mass Effect, Witcher, Dragon Age. I think those are probably harder for people to engage with because we have to turn off aspects of our apophenia to accept the narrative that we're being given.
0: Well, um, potentially, at some point that may have been true, but I think we've got very used to being told the story rather than creating the story in in when we're consuming media. Um if you look at I mean I'm no expert on this, uh thank God. Um if you look at reality TV, for example, where Big Brother say started out being allegedly a social experiment Mm. and it was just going to, you know, put these people in this house for however long it was and, you know, life would be reflected back at us Mm. uh, or whatnot, holding a mirror up and all that. If you look at what reality TV has become since then, Mm. uh, may or may not have been the best starting point ever, but everything is very tightly edited Mm -hmm. and scripted not necessarily the individual interactions are scripted, but the so, way it's c- con- constructed for consumers now yes. is is constructed to tell stories in the way that we understand them yeah. with the, with you know the beats that you would get in uh, you know standard genre fiction in a standard film in a TV so, show.
1: So while the editing and superimposing of a false narrative, if we're talking about a reality show, let's assume that a narrative would be false, mm. um, it sort of defeats the purpose. It's certainly
0: exaggerated, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, for the sake of argument, yeah. you see what I mean? Um, then that would be the, the creators, the broadcasters, um, p- finding their own pattern, determining what the meaning is, deriving narrative from the pattern that they've determined and then supplying that to the consumer. Yeah. So their their little apophenia muscles are still working, highly Mm. agitated. But the consumer is getting a dumbed-down version. But still not a version completely void of pattern. No, no. Because that's why it's compulsive TV watching. Because you want to know... No, I don't think you necessarily want to know what's going to happen next. I think the whole point, and this is what I was saying about page turners, is that we know what's going to happen next. We're waiting for the characters, quote unquote, the the people, I don't know, what are they called? The brothers? I don't know what they are in Big Brother contestants. (laughs)
0: Yeah. um,
1: To catch up to the pattern that we, the consumer, have already determined. And that's what's fascinating. And that's sort of us having a little bit of of, um, God mode. Yeah, Because we feel smarter than they do. Dramatic irony. Yeah, and we also feel, I suppose, that if we're smarter than they are, we must have a sense of... um, um, uh, I can't think of what the word is. Power over them. Even though we have no power in that situation whatsoever. Yeah. So, to take that back to
0: games... Yeah, sorry, I dragged reality TV into it.
1: No, it's interesting. I mean, people are forever comparing games to film. Not so much TV, but often film. And then immediately they go, oh, no, I shouldn't compare it to film because they're so very different. Um, Yes, no. (laughs) There's certainly some overlap um and because i i reckon games recently have really begun to model themselves on film especially the games that people like bioware and bethesda are creating and you still have the wonderful open world-ness of their later games uh in which you get the completely non-linear narrative um the notion of what's it called um simulation as opposed to representation simulation being the act of the game trying to impart a sensation as opposed to trying to show you what happened. So in these open world games, you get the opportunity to simulate emotion in a way that a traditional narrative film or TV show absolutely can't do because they're fixed. Um, But that aside, sandboxness aside, the narrative arcs of these big video games like let's keep working with mass effect are very very film-like and they're intentionally film-like and when i say to people that i love love games they always look at me like i've just said i love stepping on puppies (laughs) because they just assume games are are foul and violent and turning everyone psychopath and that secretly i must be a teenage boy um and i say "No, no, no 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 games are interactive films and that's my shorthand to try to explain something one particular niche aspect of gaming that I love about them to try to explain it to people who don't know anything about it. and I, I, I'm aware that I'm doing games a disservice by doing that because that's such a small aspect of them but games like Mass Effect are interactive films so we have a collision of the simulation open-world pattern-seeking part of the game and the filmic traditional pattern-already-determined narrative aspect of the game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Were you going to say something? Well, no, that's... No, carry on. because I was going to ask something about that further down the line, but... Um, or at some point, but it may be where you're going with this anyway, so... Well, I don't really know where I'm going with this. Um, well, Okay. May I yeah. interject and ask you the question? Get yeah. you to uh, do the heavy lifting? How do you fight games like Mass Effect, Skyrim, Witcher, Dragon Age series, Fable, GTA, Saints Row? Uh, those kinds of things where there is there is a direct story if you follow the, the main quest, if you like. Uh, there may be a little bit of variation within it, choice and that kind of thing, but there's a narrative that the game is telling mm-hmm. there are also side quests up the wazoo uh mm-hmm. and all kinds of other things and you can go off exploring a bit in some of them certainly uh or it might just be you know the maps full of side quests to pursue um often i've found that the uh the fallout games as well uh these don't mesh very well at all Yeah. Um, that's not saying I don't enjoy those games I love most of these games very very much indeed um, but particularly let's say uh, Fallout uh, the, the latest Fallout Fallout 4 um, I, I've played a fair bit of it I'm not that far through um, but I don't feel at the moment that the main plot line is gelling very well with all the side stuff There, there's kind of an urgency to the main plot line. And Mass Effect is a, a massive example of this with the <laughs> fate of the galaxy at stake. Oh, yeah. um, there, there's this urgent main plot line that feels time sensitive. Even if I know as a player of games that it's not, it will sit there and wait for me to trigger the next bit. But
1: I can't wait for the game where it is time sensitive. Indeed. And yeah. you get 16 hours into it of doing submissions and... The game ends because the person you're supposed to rescue has died. I would love that game.
0: Um, Deus Ex, whatever it was called, the last one. Okay, Um, that did that to a degree. The very first mission we didn't play that very much, but the the very first mission I've since learned online. uh, You get you start just kind of in this office building of this company that you work for, uh, and you get given a mission and then you go off and do it. But you can also explore that office building and pootle in and around and talk to NPCs and pick things up and pile them on people's desks and that kind of thing.
1: Um,
0: So (laughs) I'm told. If you behave
1: like a dick too much.
0: Um, Yeah, if you take too much time, the mission gets a lot harder. Mm -hmm. I think they start killing the hostages or something like Mm -hmm. that, um, that you're there supposed to rescue. So you get in trouble for it.
1: I feel like a lot of games could do that. They certainly have the um the technology no hmm. problem and they have the sophisticated storytelling but they just don't i think because games are still so mired in wish fulfillment that they don't know how to push our buttons yet uh it, some do I'm, I'm being unfair but i think they can they can push us they can irritate us more and to, uh, game narrative Makes me think a little bit of the concept of the Mary Sue character, where you so desperately need your audience to like the main character that you make them cookie cutter and perfect and completely obnoxious because people are flawed. And what's interesting is when people overcome their flaws, flawless characters are not
0: interesting because they don't have anything to overcome. They won't grow. Hmm. I'm not sure that's really as relevant for the, the sort of Mass Effect and this, that, and the other kind of games because you uh, can you can make the decisions about what your characters like. In those I'm, I'm not
1: saying that those characters are Mary Sue's. Okay. I'm saying that the the desire for games to give the consumer wish fulfillment is a bit of a Mary Sue.
0: Oh, okay. Um, right.
1: and yeah, I don't know that many games have realised that consumers might be more interested. If our wishes aren't so readily fulfilled, if we're challenged a little bit more. Hmm. I mean, if you think about what, how extraordinary the conversation systems were in the first Walking Dead game, because they were hard, they were new, they were hard, and we had a very real chance of fucking up. Yeah. And it was fascinating. Yeah. It was compelling. And it, it took that studio to AAA status. not that alone. I mean, they had a lot of other great factors, but I think that was one of the things that they did really well. And that's because they were taking players out of their comfort zone. And I think games that rely on narrative can afford these days to start taking players out of our comfort zone a little bit more. When things like missions... I mean, there certainly are time-sensitive missions, but...
0: And there's kind of always... It seems that moment in games where there's no going back after this moment. Oh,
1: yeah, and they always make that really clear. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, It's a
1: fine line, though, because, you know, if you're 60 hours into a game, and suddenly you accidentally start the last mission without any warning, and there's still a lot of stuff you wanted to do, you would be so pissed.
0: Yeah. Well, what have you... And we've kind of moved on from games without much of a scripted narrative to uh to slightly more scripted games. But so with with some of these ones that are slightly sandboxy and also have a direct narrative, have you found either aspect more or less memorable than the other? So for example, Fable, which I know Fable 2, uh Oh, you're leading. You I have, have yeah, I know, I've had a particularly good <laughs> experience with. Um Oh, you know, or Mass Effect or whatever, Witcher or whatever it may be. Um, what have you found more memorable? Your own uh, sort of created, if you like, plot line and narrative thread or the scripted narrative thread?
1: It's funny that you Or, mentioned... or do you think they've
0: worked perfectly together?
1: Yeah. Um... Oh, have they worked together? Well... It's funny that you mention memorable, because it's so often that my favorite games, I can't remember major plot points of them. Hmm. Um, Like the other night, we were watching um, Why We Don't Talk About Kenny, a a video essay by Ian Danskin, which is really good, um, about the development of Kenny from Walking Dead season one to Walking Dead. Is it called season? Walking Dead yeah. season two, the, the, the games. Um,
0: yeah, they're really confusingly named given, yeah. given that's a TV show <laughs> of the same name.
1: Um, and man, those are two excellent games, two of my favorites and Kenny. Oh, well, spoilers, but hey, they've been out a while. Kenny in the second one is extraordinary when he turns up and just, breaks your heart um and there's certain things i remember really specifically like i remember the emotional impact of his character but i don't remember how i finished the game which is completely ridiculous because it was a great ending and i was really involved in it um but for some reason it just kind of didn't stick it's like it's like the pathos of the game did but how it came about not so much um and similar to fable i can't even really remember the story arcs of the games that well, but the thing I remember most from Fable Two, which is why it's one of my tippy top favorite games, is something that I did in its kind of open it 's not really open world but it's kind of open world mess the the seemingly randomized interaction you can have with the AIs, which has nothing to do with the narrative, but because the AIs are so well-programmed in that game, and because the game is so atmospheric, you can readily believe that your character has a mini-narrative, a a personalized mini-narrative. And that is a prime example of finding patterns and imbuing them with meaning. And now finding patterns in games is, is kind of a silly thing for me to say because they're not random. I suppose they, I suppose they can be random. I suppose planet generation in No Man's Sky is random, but is it? Because they're all they're all based on mathematical equations. Math isn't random. I don't know. I don't know. Can games be random? I think that's a topic no another podcast. Uh,
0: yeah, I think it's random within a set of parameters.
1: Yeah, that, well, that's what I was trying to get at. Um, so, uh, oh God, I'm really getting off track here. I'll come back to it. But um, so, I think Dark Souls is quite interesting.
0: Oh, we've gone to Dark Souls.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm fleshing out a point. <laughs> okay. I'm fleshing out a point because, um, because the sense of satisfaction and the very sense, the literal survival of your character in that game comes from determining the patterns. But of course, the patterns are predetermined; they're not randomized. This is all very cleverly worked out. And what makes them ever so clever is that they look random you really believe you're the smart one in that situation for finding the pattern that the lion metaphor, the bad guy, has. And you feel like you're the survivor because you've determined that pattern and you know how to get to the next section, even though the patterns are there all along for you to discover. That's really very clever, I think. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, so that's... That's the difficulty with talking about finding patterns in games, because obviously patterns exist, but good games make us feel like they don't, and we've found them. We've sussed them out using our primal survival instincts. Still with me? Yeah. Okay. So then, if we think about whether that's harder or easier to do, in a narrative game. I think Andrea Phillips's quote, maybe I've completely misunderstood her, um, but Andrea Phillips's quote, I think, flies out the window. Because, so just to remind us that she was saying, sandbox games, ergo games with a less obvious pattern, because they don't have a narrative, are harder for us to engage with because they're lacking the narrative and we need narrative. You with me?
0: Yeah. Okay. And I'm saying I disagree. Yeah, isn't she saying that you have to come up with the narrative yourself which is harder than having a chef make it for you though? Yeah. Okay. What did I say? It sounded like you were saying that you weren't going to come away with a narrative at all. There. Well, I think she's saying that that's the risk, that you may not, because
1: it's harder, you may not come away with a narrative. Like, I didn't come away with a narrative from No Man's Sky. Yet. Yet. But No Man's Sky is kind of my Achilles heel, because generally I think games that don't have a narrative make it easier for you to engage with the narrative you bring to it, rather than games that have a strict narrative. Because games that have a strict and traditional narrative you either like or you don't like, and there's not a lot of room for interpretation. Whereas a more sandboxy game that allows you to make to determine the patterns and to f- consequently find the narrative yourself are deeply personal. I don't think it's hard because I think as human beings we're constantly doing that instinctively, and I think the payoff of those games is greater. Because it's a personalized experience, and it's fantastic when you get a traditional narrative that speaks to you, but that's rare. You with me?
0: Yeah, I am. I mean, I still think, given I really don't like Minecraft, but do really like No Man's Sky. Mm-hmm. I think you can still like or dislike, yeah, the sandbox style based on you know all the other factors like the, the setting, the, the mise en scène, uh, the aesthetic, all those kinds of things as well. Yeah. So I don't think it's just you know, if there isn't a, a set narrative and you are coming up with one yourself, it's not guaranteed you're going to like it.
1: That's true. I don't think that makes it harder, though. I, my point is, I don't think we can ever stop finding narrative. I just don't think we're capable of it. By and large, I'm not sure there are people who do anything so (laughs) that doesn't really prove one thing one way or another so my example of why i disagree and i do not think that open-worldy sandboxy style games are harder to find narrative in is
0: fable 2 right now we got back to it
1: I I know what I'm doing I know what I'm doing I'm I'm bolstering my word count Um, building an argument man it has to snowball
0: Paid by the word
1: (laughs) I'm on Patreon by the word Um, so Fable 2 has a traditional narrative but it also has open worldy elements it's not an open world game I'm fully aware of that. But like I was saying earlier, I think the AI is so clever in it and it's so atmospheric that it kind of feels like an open world in that there are so many unpredictable things that can have consequences. Still with me? Yeah. Okay. So my Fable 2 story. So I was wandering around Um, and Fable 2 is one of those games that tells you in very certain terms when the point of no return is. Um, and there's, in, in the main storyline, you have to go off to, um, a a prison island and it's inside a riot, more or less, I'm simplifying. And the game tells you, it's one of the major plot points in the main narrative. And the game tells you very clearly your character will be gone for a long time. Things will change in the world while you're away because the AI is so freaking good that it does this um so I dicked around for a while, and my character pulled into harbor and um I settled down with a nice girl and raised so is this
0: before this
1: the is prison? before this is before going off on the main mission thing right. this is when the game warn- tells me do anything that you need to do now, so. Oh, I'd better get married. <laughs> well, yeah. So in reality, I spent probably uh, a day or so wandering around in character, chatting up NPCs and boinking them and going to little cutscenes and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But what it felt like I was doing, what I was consciously doing as a player and the the story that I was imbuing into this very simplistic AI narrative, AI um, interaction, was my character knowing that they might not ever come back from this mission and that they wanted to to experience a normal life so they got married they had a child and then the day came when they knew it was time to leave so i went off i did the main mission stuff and you know what i can't remember the main mission stuff (laughs) like i remember waking up in a prison cell in my pants as you do but the main mission stuff doesn't stick in my head nearly as much as the dicking about I did with the NPCs. So if I eventually completed the main narrative and survived and lived to tell the tale and came back to the world to find it was in pretty good shape. But a long time has passed. It's years. Yeah. Seven years maybe? That sounds right. Yeah. And so the first thing I do, because I have a sense of who my character is, and I'm, you know, even though it doesn't really make any con any great difference in the game, I wanted to play as a type of person. Mm. And I was pretending that I was a family man. A woman. Um so I go back to my I think I think I had a I think I had a wife. I think I played as a lesbian. Um not sure why. Because I could? Yeah. Because it's awesome that games let you do that? Yeah. Some um, games some games. Oh well Fable yeah. games. Peter Molyneux. <laughs> yeah. We love you, Peter Molyneux. Um so the first thing I do As I head back to my hometown, and my house, and my wife has left me with a note saying that too much time has passed and she's had to move on. By the way, here's your kid. (laughs) Yeah, so I now have a semi-grown child. And I'm a single parent and I've been living this high life as an adventure and all this normality that I thought I wanted before I left. I don't want anymore because I've, <laughs> I've seen what's literally on the other side of the world. And so my character becomes an alcoholic because you can do that. Well, you can drink. And if you have, I think it's three beers, your character gets really drunk. And if you're drunk for too long, then the town that you live in labels you as an alcoholic and NPCs start reacting differently to you and things like that. So in my misery and boredom my character rages around the town as an alcoholic. And when I finally sober up enough, because I think I think you get to a point in the game where your character just starts puking uncontrollably and you just end up sobering up as a consequence. <laughs> and so when I finally sober up enough to drag myself back to my house, um, I find the child services have arrived <laughs> and are literally carting my child off. And I watch them march my child off into the horizon over the hill with two little
0: suitcases.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and that really happened in the game. Yeah. That's real. Um, And so then I, the player, decide that it's time for my character to get a grip. And I go back to the pub where I've wasted what seems like years. And... I propose to the barmaid who has been my friend throughout. Now what that actually means in gaming terms is that she's one of the few people in the town whose points estimation system haven't dipped too low.
0: Even though she's seeing you at your very Even though she's literally seen you as
1: Yeah. But so what that means to me the, as the player is that she's my best Aww. friend. <laughs> so my character proposes to her because that's a thing you can do in Peter Molyneux games. Um, and she agrees to marry me. And I think, right clean start adventuring's over philandering's over drunkenness is over I, I had unlocked a little secret farmstead in the game this complete utopian idyllic little farm um in the middle of nowhere and i think this would be a great place to set up with her and we'll live off the land and we'll be pure so we set out and we're in the woods when we're attacked by bandits mm. Cause the game really triggered bandits and we're fighting them, but we're hopelessly outnumbered. And my love dies before me, murdered by (laughs) bandits when really it was just a couple hits and she went down. But you know, to me playing this game, this is, this is my chance of renewal, redemption passed down before me. So then I decide I'm never going to get a normal life. And I devote myself to the main storyline. I complete the main storyline. Don't remember what the main storyline is, but by (laughs) God, I remember the sense of focus and drive to just get it done. You've put on this earth to complete the goddamn (laughs) storyline, just complete the goddamn storyline. And I do, and I come back, having saved the world, I come back to the world for the last time as an adventurer. And I'm given a choice, should I talk about my choice?
0: Yeah, go for it.
1: Well, you're given a choice of... everyone, Pretty much everyone you love has been killed in the storyline by this point. Even your doggy. Even your doggie. Your sister, your doggy, and countless miscellaneous people. And through the magics of the world that you unlock, you're given the choice of reviving your sister, your doggy, or the countless multitudes who you've never met but have died as a consequence. And I deliberated long and hard. I think as a character, I even went off to um, a a sort of mission um, and meditated for a while. (laughs) I tapped A to meditate or whatever and decided, really, there's only one course of action given the way my life has gone. I need to put myself aside (laughs) and revive the multitudes. So I bring peace and harmony to the world and I take myself off. (laughs) alone forever by this point i'm only wearing like a cowl and robes i'm not even in my armor anymore (laughs) um to my utopian farm that i discovered and i literally because of the location of the game seal the door behind me (laughs) and live alone forever that's what i remember from fable 2 none of that was main narrative that was me seeking patterns in the ai and imbuing them with meaning and I didn't have to work particularly hard for it because clearly I remember it better than the main storyline, which was fed to me, which was the restaurant chef, and it packed a lot more emotional punch.
0: Yeah. yeah. Thank you and good night. <laughs> um. Well, how about. Um, yeah, so that's kind of a good argument for, uh, for creating your own narrative alongside. Or above and beyond sort of main plot lines. What about things? Okay, so this is a this is a bad example, but it'll get into a, a better game. Um, there are two sort of small multiplayer games we're interested in or have played of late. Uh, Tricky Towers, which I think is free this month on the PlayStation Network, it's quite good fun. Uh, which is kind of a Tetris game only there's weird gravity as well so it's really hard Um, and you are a little wizard and you just build this tower that's it Um, and there isn't any backstory or narrative that I'm aware of it's just this collection of three different modes of stacking bricks on top of one another but you get a little avatar Um, then there's overcooked which has just come out which neither of us have played we've kind of seen a bit of it on youtube though in which uh, you play cooperatively as a team of chefs. Um, And you have to chop veg, put it in a pan. Uh, You're given um, recipes, so you have to chop the right veg, put them in the pan in the right quantities, keep it on the stove for long enough, get it into a bowl or plate, uh, and then get that out and delivered. Then get any dirty plates back and wash them so they can be reused. All the while, all kinds of chaos is going on on screen and all kinds of other stuff is is kicking off. Again, sounds like it's just a nice little cooperative game, doesn't need a narrative. Mm. However, it is framed in the narrative of the apocalypse has
1: happened. It is, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Um, And a spaghetti monster. Uh, The Onion King has hired you to feed the spaghetti monster. And you're sent back in time to 1993 to start learning chef skills in all these varied (laughs) uh, environments. Um, Does that bring anything to the game, do you think? I mean, it's hard to say because we've not played it. Um, But if you compare Tricky Towers, which has no semblance of narrative other than Wizard Tower uh, blocks falling from the sky for no reason, um, to Overcooked, Gotta Save the World by feeding a spaghetti monster. Um,
1: That's like a weird hybrid of both Andrew Phillips' metaphors.
0: It's a really good one for her metaphor because you're actually in the kitchen in one of them.
1: That's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, the same... I don't know if you were going to mention this, but my, my newfound deep love and devotion of the game Don't Starve... Yeah,
0: I was kind of going to build into this. but am yeah. oh, sorry, am I preempting? you? No, no, no. This is kind of where I was going to with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Don't Starve is a really simplistic Minecraft. It's a it's a survival uh resource gathering game, but it's incredibly atmospheric, so beautifully drawn, and I find it, it the, the UI and gameplay really intuitive, fantastic music. Um but it starts with this great cutscene of a mad scientist being zapped, I don't know if it's back in time or to some weird wilderness in the middle of nowhere where he then just has to survive. And I think magic-y stuff comes back, and then at some point after they released the game, they added a, a patch, a DLC. DLC is a patch, I think it's a patch. Um, uh, with a story mode, an optional story mode. But it is just a survival game with some nods to story kind of stuck on at either end. And... um. What's it called? Chef? Cook. Overcooked. Overcooked is just a like a, I don't, know, I don't know, like a little party game with a narrative tacked on at the beginning, but they're intriguing.
0: Have you found that the narrative, uh, the background that you're given rather than narrative, let's say, uh, the background that you're given for your character or your purpose in, uh, in, in, it's called "Don't Starve." Yeah, um, has affected how you play at all. Has that? Have you done the the fable thing, if you like, of uh, I'm this character rather than mm. a player? So this character is more inquisitive than I naturally am. So mm. I'm going to poke this hornet's nest, if you like.
1: No, not remotely, because you die. <laughs> <laughs> of all i've told you of all the, de- the ways i've died i've lost track of how many times i've died in it i've never once starved to death
0: so I've, you beat the game i've
1: beat the game i've only ever been eaten by things <laughs> <laughs> they aren't starving
0: <laughs> they have these full bellies <laughs> Yeah, so you've beaten the game in many ways. But and they're not starting, you know, and they're not
1: it's a credit to how fun the game is and how well designed it is that I've very rarely been eaten by the same thing twice. <laughs> the other day I was eaten by penguins. <laughs> I was eaten by a tree. I've been eaten by um, spiders. I've been eaten by a pig.
0: So do you have any idea of... Uh, not in the game, uh, not scripted, but... Do you as the player, or the storyteller if you like, have any idea why all this weird shit is there? Why there are penguins eating no. you and no. has, has that coalesced in any way for nope. you as a narrative? Nope. Hmm.
1: Um, no, no, nothing in the game tells me that. Um, it is just odd and wonderful and doesn't even particularly match the, the opening cutscene that you get. Um and I haven't even felt compelled to try to add a reason to it. I've just enjoyed the experience so much. So maybe I have found it harder to add uh, a meal, as Andrew Phillips would say in that instance.
0: Did you have any compelling narratives in Minecraft that you remember?
1: Um, no, not that I remember. But I did always, I did always try to build up. A sense of my character and the hows and whys and wherefores in Minecraft yeah
0: Hmm. and how about this is kind of coming more to role playing than narrative but I think it it kind of fits so Dragon Age Inquisition, uh, I know we could probably talk about that for a long time but we'll keep this uh, uh, brief and vaguely on point (laughs) Um,
1: Colin! (laughs)
0: <laughs> so yeah, so you played it through completely twice
1: Oh, so much love for that game. Um, My god <laughs> And two so different experiences Sorry, go on
0: Well, that, that's kind of what I was just, going just to relishing ask relishing the memory Because it it's one of those games where there is a definitive narrative Oh yeah There are side quests and things But they're not really It doesn't have that fable thing really Of, you know, being able to interact with people in completely different ways The personalisation Yeah
1: it's it's like it's customizable but not personalizable. Yeah. Personalizable. Personal. Personalizable. Yeah. Moving on. Totally a word. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> uh, so, did you find that did the game give you a different narrative or a different f- different approach to the narrative each time? Because, as you say, it was a completely different experience oh, for yeah. you. Uh-huh. Or is that something you specifically created for yourself? It's
1: both. You can really do both in that game, which is. I mean, BioWare have always been really good about giving you enough um, hints so that you can start to build up your own backstory to a character and make the game unique to yourself while still playing. A traditional narrative, and I think Dragon Age Inquisition is the the culmination of that. Um,
0: so, in a nutshell, kind of what were your two what the, what was the difference between your two characters, and how did that manifest itself a little bit in the playthrough?
1: Um, I y- you can choose to play as different races, genders, sexes, and classes. And both times I chose to play as a wealthy human um, because of the politics in the game. Humans are by far the most privileged race, and I really wanted to to be able to play as a character who had a level of privilege and could literally get into these aristocratic situations and kind of muck them up from the inside. Whereas if you play as other races or other classes, you have to spend almost mini-games trying to earn a certain level of social esteem which yeah. sounds fascinating, and I want to come back and do it, but I was deliberately kind of playing the, the easy version, if you like. Um,
0: you played it on easy mode. <laughs> I think I did, actually. Yeah.
1: <laughs> because there's some game, um, I can't, it's not, it's something I play reasonably often, and it doesn't say, when you're setting the difficulties at the beginning, it doesn't say easy, it just says, I'm only in this for the story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is perfect i click that every time because i'm not being patronized as they know what i I don't want to have to die 50 times till i can level up and then get the stupid gems that i can get through the door so i can get back to the story i just want to get to the goddamn story (laughs) not all the time but in some games, you do. I can't remember what game it is that says, no, I just want to
0: listen mm. oh my might be in I found out today I hadn't ever noticed or realised. Um, slight tangent. Um, this we'll definitely come back to in a different podcast. Uh, th- this sound is me opening a can of worms. <laughs> uh, the easy mode in Borderlands 2 is called girlfriend mode.
1: Anyway. I beg your pardon.
0: <laughs> On we go. Oh, uh, you haven't <laughs> told me that. Yeah, sorry. Um, Borderlands 2? Yeah. Um anyway, sorry, back to yeah, so back okay. to Dragon age origins so yeah you've had your you've got your two rich privileged rich privilege I hate you. I played as an elf and was downtrodden from the beginning. oh, I know but I'll have
1: to do it as an elf next time. that sounds fascinating mm. so in the first game, I played as um a male the ro- rogue, which just means normal person, but they're like fast as opposed to strong um which is like the most white bread (laughs) middle of the road setting you could possibly get in that game Um, but i had so much fun because i realized really early on from the way your character talks to people there's certain gaps in the conversation that you can either i suspect just ignore or you can start to mentally fill in the blanks yourself so like at one point the, if you play as the, the rich male character, it turns out that you and a rich female character, NPC in the game, um, never actually met, but have gone to a lot of the same parties and know all the same people. And it's <laughs> funny that their paths just never crossed, which is just wonderful. And that instantly gives you such a wealth of backstory for this person. Yeah. Um, so that character, I began to realize, was like a real rebel and the black sheep of his family and um would have been punk if he'd had the opportunity um and i totally fell in love with him because he he came from privilege and was rejecting everything even though the main decisions i made in the game weren't particularly different either playthrough but i really felt like that character was an individual um yeah, I, I don't need to go into all the plot differences no, no, between no. them. But, um, yeah, there were... I guess it was a case of the game giving me patterns and me determining what they meant to me. The, the, everyone would interpret the patterns slightly differently. And I, my patterns added up to this particular character, Beothor, being... <laughs> Um, yeah, the black sheep, the rebel, the, uh, he was supposed to join the army and didn't and, well, oh, he was naughty, was Baelothor.
0: <laughs> who was your other character?
1: Oh, I never found a good name for her, but I love her to bits. Do I love her? I might love her even more than Baelothor. I don't know. I love them all so much. <laughs> she was, um, a human mage and the mages are so interesting in that game. Gosh, I really, I think Dragon Age Inquisition and Witcher two and three, I think probably have the best traditional narrative story arcs I've ever found in the game. Even more than uh, like Walking Dead, say, which are wonderfully written. I just find the, I mean, they're they're both high fantasy, I guess, which I didn't even think about, and I don't know that I particularly gravitate towards high fantasy, but I think they they use the metaphor of high fantasy so well. And they make those world so rich and so dark and meaty. Mm. Really compelling. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know what? If you don't have anything urgent to drop in, I
0: wanna to go to this I've got I've got one not particularly urgent thing that I'm I would like to wow you with at some point, but I think yours is probably oh, more got, interesting. I've got, I've got,
1: I've got well no, you can wow me. Sure. No, 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 okay. no. no. Okay. Well, having just talked about how much we love these stories both when they're supplied to us as a chef and when we build them ourselves this is a quote by robert redford um he's promoting the pete's dragon film um as so this is he said this in interview and i wrote it down so it's it sounds a little funky because he was just speaking you know off the top of his head but here's verbatim what he said uh, and you can find the full interview on, on the guardian Um, He says, I grew up at a time when I was a kid where there was no television, there was just radio. You didn't have the aggressive technology you have today. By the way, while he's saying this, he's sitting in front of a projection of Pete's dragon, CGI'd, (laughs) flying about with little kids. You didn't have the aggressive technology you have today. There's so much high tech going on today. I think sometimes deprives us of being inventive on our own and coming up with our own stories. We're relying on stories being fed to us through technology. And since I grew up at a time where that didn't exist, you had to make up your own stories. You had to tell stories to other people. You had to hear stories from other people told
0: to you. What? Yes, he's not... Chatted to any kids who are into the Minecraft, is he? What?
1: <laughs> um, it's just, oh, there's so many things wrong with that.
0: Yeah, and I like Robert true. Redford, but oh
1: boy, does that just smack of naivety to me. But the whole thing about mm, aggressive technology deprives us of being inventive. And I can only assume, so, okay, we know he likes radio, so radio's safe. Theatre doesn't necessarily have any technology, and certainly not traditionally, so theatre and books are safe. He's sitting in front of a CGI fricking dragon, so know films are safe. So aggressive technology, I'm thinking he means video games? (laughs) And uh, and as we've just spent the last uh, hour and 20 minutes determining, video games certainly don't
0: um, allow us to be inventive. No, not at all. Um yeah, that's it's quite a mind boggling thing. But there there was we listened to an uh, an old radio show uh by the Guardian's games uh head of games, I don't know. The oh. Games editor, um where yeah. Yeah, she, yeah, she she made the point that um every every time there's been a new medium for storytelling, yeah. the the old mediums have ganged up against it, if you yeah. like, or, or or just the general populace has. So books were thought to be the work of the devil at some point, yeah. then radio was going yeah, to... Women women, and
1: children were banned from reading books because they were so heinous. Yeah. Then uh, then theatre, which was what rogues and prostitutes went to.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um,
1: then film, which was pornographic and sleazy and you didn't... A respectable woman would never have gone to it alone. Then we got the radio, which um, I don't know. I don't know culturally what people thought of it, but they definitely thought it was sort of a flash in the pan.
0: They all laughed.
1: At. They all laughed at Marconi when his wireless was a phony. Yeah, it's the same old line. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: yeah. Then TV. I mean, it's, oh my
1: god, yeah, the TV t- was disgusting. Yeah,
0: I mean, it it's still very looks down on uh, a lot. I mean, you know, it's. <laughs> I don't think it's doing it any harm. I'd um, say we're in a, a golden age for narrative drama and, and yeah. so on at the moment. Um, but it is still how... very... You'll get square eyes and oh, yeah. so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. So you know how film managed to, to really claw its way into a mode of cultural appreciation? I mean, it still has an uphill struggle, um, but when film really started to flip things around and become respectable. No. <laughs> this is fascinating. It was in the early 1950s when televisions were, although still a novelty, more and more people were getting them. And more people were getting TVs than there was programming for. And the like four TV channels, if there even were that many, had major scheduling gaps. And the only thing that they could get to fill them was film. Ah, uh, okay. And that was when film started getting premiered on TV, and suddenly it found a whole new audience. I mean, we're talking silent films, uh, films of the 1930s, suddenly watched by teenagers on a weekend, going, whoa. Because, of course, how else would they see it? Yeah, yeah. And um, and it took a whole new generation to go, this stuff's amazing. And then that generation grew up and turned it into cultural studies and film studies, which appeared in the 1960s. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> and that's when film became... Socially important. Huh. Um, oh, that's
0: that's kind of a problem with games uh, in that yeah. there there isn't yeah. an archive, really. If you like, um, I think there are a few attempts here and there, but you can't. You know, I can't go and play Amiga games and see how yeah. you know interesting things were going on in some of them. Um, mm. Yeah, there's there's no way for the generation, with you know, without buying a load of stuff on eBay or emulators or this, that and the other, um, it's harder to, yeah, to look at the history, to learn from the history and
1: yeah. take it up a notch. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, YouTube and Let's Play are, I suspect, the most rapidly growing sources of gaming archives we have and it's not a perfect system because as we've been saying this whole time gaming is deeply personal and that's what i love so very much about it is that it it allows you to have a really personal experience largely free of judgment depending on how you're playing that's
0: something that just occurred to me youtube let's plays uh, there's a very good one, um, Chris Remo from Idle Thumbs playing RimWorld, uh, which is... Uh, I haven't played it, so... Oh, that's good, that Yeah, haven't really been able to talk too much about it today, but it really fits into the apophenia thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, like it's specifically designed for that. Yeah, kind of massively. Uh, there's, there's quite a few articles about how good it is for telling stories. Um, but people like him and other YouTubers are... If you like, they're kind of storytellers, and their tools are mm. um, the games that they're showing on YouTube. Obviously, you know he's a games designer and all kind of other things in uh, in his actual full time life. Um, but but yeah, it, it's kind of interesting that watching YouTube let's plays is kind of enjoying the storytelling of, or yeah. that you know that's what I like, uh, as well as finding out if I'm going to enjoy a game or not. Um, the YouTubers that i've enjoyed watching are the ones that are good at telling the story finding yeah. finding the through line in the story um yeah quite a few so people would with, with it. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, just of a,
1: of a whole new medium it's, it's quite exciting Yeah, if, if people like Robert Redford would just get off his high horse and recognise that storytelling over YouTube isn't any worse than storytelling over radio. Mm -hmm. It's storytelling. It's all feeding our imaginations. And actually what games do is give us more tools to tell our own stories than any other medium has before.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Certainly far more than uh, TV or or film, where it is just, here's the narrative. Yeah. Um, Yeah. If you're ready for my uh, narrative bombshell. Hit me. So, there have been quite a few uh, not good um, game-to-film adaptations, uh, some of which I've seen, many of which I haven't. I've seen a bit of Battleship, that was very poor, uh, and a very weird way of spinning a game out into a film. Um, Were you aware they're making a Tetris film?
1: Oh, I might have heard that and I think I dismissed it because it just sounds so stupid.
0: Well, they're not making a Tetris film. Okay. There's so much material. They're making three Tetris films.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but how are they going to stack them? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: So, yeah. You're
1: not serious. I'm deadly serious.
0: So, uh, yeah, there's so much narrative just in Tetris, which doesn't even have...
1: The, the narrative of shaped. Tricky Towers
0: which at least you have an avatar wizards. and a wizard's tower um, that you can get three films apparently.
1: They do have a staunch and great soundtrack though. They really
0: do. I've just listened to that for <laughs> six hours, nine hours, whatever the hell it's going to be. That's shocking. So I, I don't know whether there's going to be some it's more about That's the making of shocking. Tetris and to do with the Cold War and stuff or if it is, I, I, honestly I've no idea what the the film's actually going to be but yeah, apparently. No.
1: Too much material
0: for one film. Too much material for two films. <laughs> Let's make this badass a trilogy. My word. <laughs> I imagine they'll only pull out the uh, the long straight um, blocks in the second film. Like when it's a really <laughs> yeah. dire situation at the end of the second film. And then suddenly with a crescendo. The
1: of Oh my god.
0: Duh. <laughs> Here it's the block you need.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That'll
1: be the post-credit scene.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's oh, that's something to look forward to. Not a lot to discuss on it. Just let's. I'll try and read up about it and see if that is still the case. There was a, a few weeks ago that I heard that that was what was happening with it. So maybe there's been further development. God, I hope so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe they're going to make it into a, a seven series tv show instead there's too much material for three films
1: we i would like to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they're onto something they have a really cool angle and it's not just sexy teenage boy zapped into futuristic dystopia and has to assemble blocks in an arena style to save his family i really hope that's not it and it might be about yeah east berlin and um Supply runs yeah. and families scattered overseas, and and the the one developer who had a dream. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making it up as I go.
0: Yeah, but at which point you're expanding out so far in a way that it's not even without. What, what the fuck was the point in spending money on the Tetris license? But um, wow. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? We'll, we'll find, find out. Find
1: out all too soon.
0: Yeah. Um. Mm. I think I'm probably done
1: talking about narrative. Yeah, tonight. I'm sated. It's just, um, I just have one quote that I wouldn't mind sort of finishing us up with. If mm. uh, if we're winding down.
0: We've said it all. Let's let someone else have the yeah. last word.
1: Clearly, I am out of pattern recognition. Um, So this is from Naomi Alderman, who is... Oh, I don't know. She's some kind of important guardian. Of oh, yeah, head. she's
0: the person that asked was talking about earlier. oh the radio program yeah yeah yeah.
1: um i feel like i feel like she might be head of the the game section but if not then oops sorry (laughs) um so she's talking about well the title of the piece is the first great works of digital digital literature are already being written to give you a context um she's talking about how annoying it is when people say things like data is a story products are a story and she goes on to say but more aggrav- aggravating even than this are the forums, summits, breakout sessions and seminars on, quote, digital literature, end quote, run by exceedingly well-meaning arts people who can talk for hours about what the future might be for storytelling in this new technological age, whether we might produce hyperlinked or interactive or multi-stranded novels and poems without apparently noticing that video games exist. And they don't just exist, they're the most lucrative, fastest-growing medium of our age. Your experimental technological literature is already here. It's the noise you're trying to get your children to turn down while you pen your thoughts about the future of location-based storytelling.
0: (laughs) Zing! (laughs) Bang! Zoom!
1: Right in the kisser. Pretty cool. I think that says it all. Thank you very much. Take that, Robert Redford. Yeah.
0: Afraid (laughs) so. Mm, So... Well, yeah. Um, We've been playing a few games and such this week as well, but to be honest, I think we've waffled on probably for long enough. I feel waffled. Yeah. Um, So we'll probably talk more about those next time, which will be in two weeks' time. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're podcasting every fortnight at the moment. Maybe we'll bump it up to once a week, you
1: never know. Depends how good your reader mail is.
0: (laughs) But that's true. Yes, do please get in touch with us. We are on Twitter, at The Convo Tree. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we are also, uh, we've got an email address. Use the email address. Yeah, that'd be um, cool. It's the conversation tree. At G- gmail.com. Yep. Uh, and head over, feel free to leave comments on our blog, which is the conversation tree podcast.wordpress.com. And please leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, that is a good way for people to find it. Recommend us to friends if you enjoyed it. Don't if you didn't. Uh, unless you really hated it, in which case, tell them they'll never believe that. Shit, these guys chatted.
1: Although I have to say, at this point on iTunes, even if you give us a negative review, at least we still go on the iTunes recognition system. So if you hated it,
0: give us that one star. <laughs> cool. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we, I'm sure we'll be talking about narrative. I'll definitely be talking about No Man's Sky again uh, and oh all joy. kinds of other things. Uh, hope you have a brilliant couple of weeks gaming and see you on the other side. Happy narrativing! Video games cause the apocalypse.